Luke chapter 12. I want you to look again this morning at several instances here in Luke 12 where our Lord Jesus uses the same misunderstood expression that utilizes the same Greek word. Verse 11, you'll notice it, and when they bring you, Jesus said, unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought. There's the word. The words in the English, take no thought. How or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. Verse 22, and he said unto his disciples, therefore I say unto you, here it is again, take no thought. For your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. Verse 25, and which of you, with taking thought, there's that word again, can add to his stature one cubit. Verse 26, if ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? You're all familiar in Matthew's gospel when Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow. And of course, these three words in our English come from a singular word in the Greek, merimneo. It literally means to be anxious. It's the same word our Lord Jesus used when he said to Martha, you are careful, careful, full of care about many things. It's the same Greek word that Paul used when he said in Philippians 4, 6, be careful, take no thought, be anxious for nothing. And of course, the fact that Jesus repeats this, this command over and again as a reminder that anxiety, if you will, and worry are not just the burdens of a few people who are labeled worry warts. Our Lord Jesus isn't speaking here to a support group, a bunch of neurotics or people with psychosis. Oh no, the chapter you may begin in verse 1, the last part of the verse says, He began to say unto His disciples, first of all. His audience included specifically His greatest disciples. It included successful business owners like the sons of Zebedee. It included devout believers, risk takers, committed men and women. These are His potential worriers. And you know, beloved, that's why I'm not here on this New Year's Eve morning to make anybody feel guilty as if you're uniquely weak in the faith because you're worrying about something. This is not a text for a specific subset of God's people in the kingdom. It is a text for all. All of us as God's people in this room today. It is a powerful, it is His powerful, Christ's perfect wisdom to those that he loves and those he leads in a world that is filled, absolutely filled today with fret. Now understand this, beloved, not a single word in this text, not a single word in this chapter is a platitude or a theory of psychology on the subject of worry. This isn't Dr. Phil or Hakuna Matata, no worries. This isn't that worry stone that I saw a lady in Walmart not long ago rubbing with all her anxiety, rubbing her worry stone. What it is is divine counsel for the one who knows all of the hearts of men and women. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And please help us, God, to have all distractions put aside, cast aside, so that we can hear what the Spirit saith. 
so that we can hear the counsel of the Lord Jesus who repeats this over and over again. And then hearing it, heed it for this new year that you've given us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things that I want us to consider this morning on this text concerning this universal struggle when it comes to worry and anxiety. You see, folks, in this instance, the struggle is real. It is a struggle that you're either faced with right now, at this moment, as I'm speaking, or you were faced with it yesterday or last week or last month, or you'll be facing it tomorrow. This is all 2023, and it's all 2024. Three things in the text. The first you'll notice, number one, is the cause, the cause for worry. Why is it this morning, and what is it exactly, according to Jesus? Again, I only want to see his counsel. What is it, according to God and this text, that causes people to worry? Well, I want you to look again at chapter 12. And I want you to notice the remarkable answer that Jesus gives to this. Verse 22. And he, Jesus, said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought. There's those words again. No anxiety. Take no thought for your life. Now he's going to describe your life. That is, what ye shall eat. Neither for the body what ye shall put on. Now, wait a minute. That's pretty clear, right? And just in case we've missed it, and just in case his audience has missed it, he's going to repeat it again. Look at verse 23. The life, the life is more than meat or food, and the body is more than raiment or clothes. He's going to repeat it again. Verse 24, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Again, crystal clear, but just in case they still missed it and you're missing it, you'll notice that Jesus repeats it yet again. Verse 28, if then God clothe, it goes right back to clothes again, right back to raiment. If then God so clothe the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Well, what about the food? Verse 29, and seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. What is it, Pastor, that people worry about? 2,000 years ago, the Lord of the universe, the creator of all, is giving divine counsel about anxiety and worry. And he lists two things. He lists food, fabric, and then the third thing in the context of both of those, look at verse 11. And when they bring you into the synagogues and under the magistrates and the powers, take heed, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall or shall say. In other words, it's food, it's fabric, and it's future. Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, the future. These, these are the things in the Bible, our Lord says, give rise to anxiety and worry in people's hearts. Now listen to me. You're saying, I don't know, Pastor, not me. I might worry a little bit about the future, but I don't fret about clothes. I don't have any anxiety or fret about fabric. Well, maybe you do in the context of how Jesus is speaking of it. Look at verse 25. Which of you, taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? 
If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought, worry, anxiety for the rest? In other words, now follow this carefully. You can't change how tall you are or how short you are by stressing over it. So Jesus says, don't worry about it. It's who you are, it's what you are. Height and clothing. Both of these things go to somebody's appearance. That's what Jesus is talking about. And how do I look in this? How can I look better than I do now? How can I be taller or thinner or younger or chicer or prettier or handsomer or whatever? Oh yeah. People do worry about clothing in the context of appearances, which is what Jesus is talking about. Folks, there's not a teenager in the United States of America who's not told that they shouldn't have anxiety over what they wear. All kinds of people are told that they should worry and they should fret on how they appear to others. They hear it all the time, but they are not told that by God. In fact, God is telling you and me the opposite, and then he uses an illustration to drive home that point. Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? In other words, follow this carefully now, beloved. Solomon had beautiful clothing, the finest fabric on earth. He wasn't just a king. He was a king with money and style. And yet Jesus said that the lilies of the field do not worry about their attire. Their glory is greater than all of Solomon's glory and all of his expensive robes. You ever consider the fact that no matter how expensive the fabric, no matter where in the world, no matter what the design or label, they all look the same under a microscope. And specifically, they all sort of look like sackcloth. Under a microscope, they all look like cheap material. However, you put God's creation, put a flower under a microscope, and you'll discover not less glory, but more glory. More beauty. More design. More elegance. So what was Jesus saying? The lilies don't worry. And in every fall, they're chopped down and put in the oven to warm people's hands. Why are you worried about clothing when the creator of the lilies cares more about you than he does the lilies? Okay, pastor, maybe I do worry a little bit about my appearance, how I look, what people think about me. But you know, in America, I don't really worry or get anxious about food. What I worry about is, is how my kids will go to college. Really? Why do you worry about whether or not your kids will go to college? Well, it's because I, I want them to get a degree. Why do you want to get them a degree? Well, because I want them to be able to go out and have a career and make money and afford clothing and groceries. That is food. You're worried about food. You know, one of the things after being sick for over a week, you notice is something you, you sometimes you crave certain food. Because I don't know why, just you haven't eaten for a while. And so I did. Crystal called me and said, what can I get you? I said, I said, you know what? I said, get me some cornflakes and milk. I never eat breakfast food, cereal, never. Breakfast cereal, I didn't have milk in the fridge. 
And so she did, and I'm eating it. And I realized while I'm eating it, I'm watching Tony the Tiger Kellogg's Bowl. <laughs> the bowl game. I had been watching it, and I was duped by a commercial. But it was great, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Should have seen me during the Pop-Tarts Bowl. The Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. That's, uh, that's two things I had in once. The Cheez-Its, what's that, Cheez-Its Bowl, the Citrus Bowls tomorrow, I think. I don't know. And then the Sugar Bowl. I'm going to eat a whole bowl of sugar when I watch it. I don't know. But we're just food species in our country. And yes, in a thousand different ways here in America, people get anxiety and they worry. There's inflation and how am I going to afford this and how am I going to afford that? There's jobs and pay raises and bills and promotions and taxes and insurance and, and your income levels and so forth. And you know what, folks? Ultimately, it comes down to the basic, basic staples of life, just as Jesus said. In the 60s, we called money bread. You got any bread? And so forth. The Lord Jesus knows your heart. And the Lord Jesus knows exactly what we worry about. And in one way or another this morning and this coming year, it will be food or fabric or the future. It will be food in the context of whether or not you have enough income or will have an income. And it will be fabric and whether or not people will look at you or you will think the world, the society will tell you that they should look at you a certain way because of what you have or because of what you have or have not achieved. How do I look? How will I look in 10 years? What will I be able to afford in five years? How tall will I be when I'm 18 or 21? What will I look like? What will my kids look like? What will they have for food? And so it goes, which brings us to the second thing in the text. Number one is the cause for worry. The second thing, you'll notice number two, are the consequences of worry. What is it that Jesus says? Now again, I want his counsel. What is it that worry and anxiety does to us as the people of God? I know what it does to lost people. But what does it do to Christians? And I'm not going to relitigate all the actual health problems that are caused by anxiety. We've gone through those through the years many, many times. Everybody's familiar with them. And really, when you think about them, when you start going through all the, well, worry causes this and causes this and causes that, and it just gives you more to worry about. And then it becomes this, this cycle. If you keep on worrying, you're going to get shingles and, and lose your hair. Oh, great, I'll worry about that tonight all night long. <laughs> We're not going to consider those consequences of worry. But what are the ones that Jesus addressed? Look at verse 24. Consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barns. Why don't ravens have storehouses or barns on the ground? It says, and God feedeth them, how much more are you better than the fowls? By the way, let me stop here for a minute. It is not by accident that in the parallel passages our Lord refers to the same thing. And he says, consider the fowls in the air. Why does he add that distinction? Consider the fowls, the birds in the air. That's because the birds belong. They're, up, they're, they're at home up there in the air. We know that in part because he says a similar thing about the lilies and the plants. Look at verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, neither spin not. They're not down here spinning and toiling. 
And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field. And again, in the parallel passage, it says the lilies, quote, of the field, the birds of the air. You see, lilies were made by their creator for the field. The birds were made by their creator for the air. And indeed, in that natural sphere, sphere, where they were made to be, that place they occupy for which they were created, there's nothing for them to worry about. But the moment that a bird decides to go against God's will and creation, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to plant and harvest and I'm going to have storehouses and I'm going to store grain. Now that bird's got a problem. Birds are not equipped or qualified for that kind of work. And they don't need to be. Understand, they don't need to be. God has provided them their food. And beloved, if you really, really want to know the great consequence and danger of worry as a child of God, then just recognize that when you have anxiety and worry, and when you have trepidation about the things that God has already promised to provide for, you go against His will. You go against His divine plan. And therefore, you have left your sphere of freedom and rest in Christ. It is exhausting, beloved. It is exhausting to try, for you to try to control things that are outside of your realm. For you to try to move the pieces around because you want him or her fixed or this or that or your life way down the future fixed for this and that. Things that are out of your control. Pastor, you should go on the internet and read about the so-and-sos. If I have no control over it, I don't want to read about it. If it's not in my sphere of influence, I don't really care. Imagine a fowl of the air deciding to leave its flight in the sky. All that freedom where it belongs. And it comes down to pull a plow. To try to reap a harvest. It has replaced its freedom with frustration. And that's what Christians are doing when they have anxiety. There's a very famous poem that speaks to that very thing called the peace of all things. Written by Wendell Berry. Let me read just a portion. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and I lie down where the wood drake rests in its beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free. In other words, the grace of God's very creation is that it doesn't worry and it doesn't fret about God's provision or God's purpose. The lily is provided its clothing. The raven is provided its food. And the Creator who loves you more than both of these has promised to provide all that you need. And all you will ever need in this coming year to fulfill His perfect plan and purpose for your life. Which simply means, whatever your appearance, whatever you look at in the mirror, whatever your stature or your clothing or lack thereof or your position, it is enough. Whatever your bread, it is enough. Whatever your future, it is secure. You don't need to claw your way. Clawing your way into this exhausting work 
of trying to be what you're not, of trying to control what you cannot and you will never control, of trying to change what you shouldn't. From heaven's perspective, when his children worry, when his children worry, it is unnecessary, unnatural, unhelpful, and unreasonable. Our Lord Jesus said in the parable of the sower that one of the things that chokes the Word of God is, quote, the cares of this world. Some of you are not getting a thing out of the message because the cares of this world right now at this moment are choking the Word of God out of your heart and life. So you see, the worst thing about anxiety is that, yes, it robs you of God's best. It robs you of His peace, His purpose, ultimately His power missing in your life. When Christians worry, they cannot be free to serve God, nor to enjoy God's blessings. Because you're constantly, you can't be a testimony as you should be to this lost world. A few days ago, Benjamin threw up and, uh, I mean, red Gatorade, red dye, whatever, on the carpet and the floor, and so had to clean it up. You thought I'd learn, you know, three boys, red dye, forget that stuff, but I gave him red Gatorade. I don't know why. Last night he says to me, Dad, you want the good news or the bad news? I said, give me the bad news. He says, I threw up again. Oh, man, what's the good news? He said, I threw up on the floor, not the carpet. (laughs) I said, Ben, that's not good news. That's just less bad news. So the poor guy now, he's just, he's constantly thinking because I, I don't know, he's sick and I chewed him out, but he's constantly worried. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to run to the trash can. And that's kind of what he thinks about. And he's consumed with it. So am I, because I keep watching him. I don't want to clean the floor again. (laughs) But worry is just like that. It robs you of your God-given freedom and joy and contentment every moment of the day. It is advanced payments that you make on troubles that almost never come. Which brings us then to the third thing. There's the cause. There are the consequences of worry. Number three. What's the cure for worry? Because again, this is God's counsel. What do we as the children of God... Now look, I'm telling you right now that you cannot put this cure in a book and sell it as a bestseller to the world. Because it wouldn't mean anything to them. It wouldn't have any substance for them. But if you're a child of God, and God is your Father, this is it. This is all you need. What is the cure? What do we as children of God do to defeat and diminish worry in our lives, the remedy truly for anxiety and care and stress and doubt? Well, as we noted earlier, don't expect Christ to give us any psychobabble no platitudes and no empty cliches. I remember I was at Chip, Chip, uh, Chipotle a while back, and you know, they had those quotes on the bag. And it said, one of them said, Don't worry when I fight with you, worry when I stop, because it means there's nothing left for us to fight for. I read that, and I read it again, and I read it again, and I read it again, and I said, That's stupid. 
That's the dumbest thing I've ever read. So what is the remedy? What's the truth about worry? Here it is, chapter 12, in all of its simplicity and all of its glory and all of its truth. Let's look at verse 22 first. Jesus said, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barns, and yet what God feedeth of them, how much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, there's that word again, can add to his stature one cubit? Which of you can do that? Go, I'm sorry, go back to verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. Now look, look at what it says in the next verse. The life. The life is more than meat and the body more than raiment. Now follow this carefully. Jesus said the life, not just life, you know, life, but the life, the Christian life, the ordained life, the believer's life. Isn't the life more, as in infinitely more, than all the things you're worried about? Yes. Go to verse 29. And seek ye not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. I just mentioned the world. And your father, your father, knoweth that ye have need of these things. Now, wait a minute. The nations? Where did that come from? Why did the Lord Jesus all of a sudden say, well, that's what the nations of this world, is this some sort of slam on Gentiles? No, other than the fact that Gentiles in Jesus' day did not understand. They did not live with a perspective of eternity and God's purpose, and what really matters. They did not see that the life is more than meat, that it's more than body. That's all it was to them. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. The body more than raiment? Keep reading, verse 30. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. That's what they want. He says, and your father knoweth that you have need of these things. Need. Pastor, what is the remedy for anxiety, worry in the Christian's life? The Lord Jesus is telling us that it is perspective. It is building and living your life, the life, on things that are not seen. It is living and building your life on the things that are eternal. Your Heavenly Father, Jesus said, the kingdom of God, His righteousness, service to God. The more your eyes and the more your heart is settled on this world, with all of its temporal stuff, all of its things are going to be gone, the more your life is filled with worry. I heard Mike Tyson say two days ago, he was asked if he was happy. He asked how he was. He says, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy for the first time in my life. That's what he said. Why are you happy, Mike? You know what he said? He said, because I have no more money. I'm finally happy because I have no more money. The more your eyes and your heart are settled on your heavenly Father and eternal things, the less your life will be consumed with worry. But pastor, that makes it sound as if it's just all a matter of simple faith. 
I mean, worry and angst and, and panic and anxiety and nervousness and apprehension and dread. These are all very complicated clinical uh, disorders that require professional diagnosis. But you're telling us that just trusting, implying Jesus says, just have faith. Well, verse 28. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, which is everything you own in your portfolio. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Yes. Yes. The remedy for everyday worry is just faith. Either you believe and know that God is your Father and he loves you more than everything else, or you don't, and therefore you trust him as your Father. Faith changes your perspective on every single thing in this world that causes worry for everybody else. It takes a worried heart and replaces it with a worshiping heart. If you're looking to God and His will and His purpose, and He's told you in the Bible, and Jesus has, has affirmed it in the Bible, that He's going to take care of you, that you can fulfill His perfect will no matter what you wear or eat, everything's all right in my Father's house. There is no cause for worry. I think just the truth of Jesus' three words, your heavenly Father, changes everything. When I was in seminary many years ago, we had to take a lot of courses during that time on counseling and psychology. My doctoral thesis was on the Holy Spirit's ministry of comfort, encouragement. So one of the things, anyone who's ever taken a psychology class, I'm sure, in postgraduate can tell you, is that you're inevitably going to read about the research in the 1950s by a man by the name of Harry Harlow. Dr. Harlow raised these little rhesus monkeys in a cage. And in his research, he used these two so-called mothers. One was a very crude wire fake monkey that had actual milk that would provide to the little babies. The other one was a much more realistic, soft, cuddly mother that it could rest and nestle with, but it did not provide any milk. The researchers assumed that these little monkeys would stay with the crude wire mother monkey because that's where the milk was, the sustenance. But in fact, these little babies always spent their time, 17, 18 hours a day, with that soft, cuddly mother that did not provide anything. So they did a test. They did this experiment where they decided to scare the little monkeys, scare the wits out of little babies, and see which one they would run to. They did this over and again. It was kind of cruel. Uh, the videos are probably still on the internet somewhere. And it was interesting because in every single case, the little baby monkeys ran, not to the one that had the actual source of milk, but to the more natural, soft, and endearing mother. And then researchers were even the more surprised to notice how the presence of that natural-looking mother literally diminished the anxiety and the fear and the worry that the little ones felt from whatever was scaring them. It melted away with them. They were shocked, and especially something Harlow says. These are all evolutionists, as you know. He said it was clear that monkeys were not running, little babies were not running away from something, but rather they were running to something. And when they ran to it, their anxieties were diminished. 
Beloved, anybody who understands creation, anybody who understands the fowls of the air and the lilies of the field knows exactly why and is not surprised that the natural-looking parent won over a machine that even provides milk. Throughout the entire Bible, throughout all of Scripture, the saints of God talked about running to their safe tower. Throughout the Bible, the saints of God talk about their high tower, their mountain, their eagle's wings. You old-timers will remember Dr. Reuben Ebert, run to the Lord. Run to the Lord. You know what that takes? One thing. Faith. Faith. Trust. Belief. They that come to God must believe that He is. And that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. But oh we, oh we of little faith. The first thing we do is run to the phone. Run to the neighbor. Run to the pills. Run to a book. Run to a podcast. O ye of little faith, if God so clothe the grass of the field, shall He not much more clothe you with whatever you need? For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. When shadows fall and the night covers all, there are things that my eyes cannot see. I never fear. For the Savior is near. My Lord abides with me. I'm not going to say that God wants you to have a worry-free year this year. I'm not going to say that. Because worry and anxiety comes on all of God's people. But I am going to say, because I know it's true, that when we worry, it's only because Jesus would say to us, Oh, you have little faith. You don't have to. You shouldn't. It's not your birthright as a child of the living God. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed with no one moving for a moment. Do you know the greatest testimonies of the gospel throughout history and right now in this room to this lost and dying world, the greatest testimonies are those believers who have faith, courage, boldness in the face of whatever's going to happen this coming year. During COVID, we watched as church after church after church, Christian after Christian, faltered, failed, closed their doors, got scared, quit reading their Bible, quit going to church, quit praying over a virus. Compromised their convictions. They lost their testimony because they got so full of fear and anxiety and worry. And look back, none of it was necessary. The greatest testimonies of the gospel, living testimonies, are people who live in faith. Simple faith. Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today, and I'm a Christian. And I want to be that testimony. I want to, I want to conclude this year what's left of it and begin the next year what's come of it. More than any other time in my life, by trusting God. Oh, ye of little faith, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about being fed. Your heavenly Father has made provision for all these things in His will. 
Pastor, I'm saved today, but I needed this message. Would you pray for me? Who would say that with heads bowed through the building? Would you raise your hands and amen and amen? God knows all the details, all the details of your provision. Trust him this year. Embrace the promises of God this year, more than ever before, young or old. Maybe here today or you're watching by live stream and you're not sure that you're saved. I said earlier that, you know, if you're lost, if you're not one of Christ's own, if, if Jesus can't say to you, your heavenly father, because you're not born in the family, born again, then I, I say worry. You have every reason to worry. You have every reason to worry. You might slip out in the parking lot and go into eternity. You should be terrified, actually. But that can be history for you. You come to Lord Jesus and be saved. Come unto him, all you that labor and heavy laden, he'll give you rest. If you're here today and you're not sure you're saved, could we pray for you? I won't embarrass you or come to you, but I'd love to pray for you. Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure today. If I died, I'd be in heaven. Would you pray for me that I could be sure? With heads bowed, who would say that? Would you lift your hand where you are? Ma'am, I see your hand. Anyone else? Raise it up high enough where I can see it. On my right, okay. We're going to pray in a moment, have a time of invitation. And yes, I said at the beginning of the message, it's not my goal to make anybody feel guilty about fretting or worry. But I will say this, if the Holy Spirit convicts you about it, if he's convicting your heart, then embrace that. That's from him. God doesn't want you to be fearful. Trepidation constantly about things he's promised to take care of? No. No, you should be under conviction about that. And so should I. And I am. So obey his voice. Father, bless the invitation we committed into your hands. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for the words of your son, the Lord Jesus, reminding us that we have every reason in this coming year, and it's an election year, and people are going to be full of anger and wrath and fear and doubt and lots of deceit. Help us to trust you more than ever. We have every reason to look back on the last year, the last 10 years, the last 50. Every reason to look back and see you're faithful. You're always faithful. So help us to hear these words of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.